communicate or talk about, but certainly um, not, it is not in my heart to just be silent about it. We need to talk and wrestle through these things together. And today, we are continuing in this series, Future Church, as I mentioned, and I'm grateful that all of you are with us in this room today, as well as everyone that's watching online. It's a little bit crowded up here with the, these uh, speakers, so I'm a little bit stage left. Is that okay? But we'll be uh, here just for a few minutes together as I share my heart with all of you. This has been a fantastic few weeks together. I have not had um, this kind of feedback and response and connection with our community like I have with this series uh, probably for a lot of good reasons, but one is because we are talking about issues and, and topics that aren't necessarily comfortable. If you haven't had a chance to, to hear or be a part of this series over these, these weeks, I would encourage you to go back and have a listen. It has been um, just as much of a challenge for me to prepare and, and for Pastor Cody and others uh, to wrestle with these topics that the church needs to be talking about wrestling with the things that I believe are the heart of God and the things that he wants us to be involved with as the local church, as the body of Christ. And today is no different. I would say today is a little more tame than the last few weeks, so everyone could take a, a deep breath on that. Today we're talking about, I, I believe, something that, that all of us, no matter what our age is, it, it's related to our lives, young or old. It does not matter what stage in life you are in. Contribution to the community and to the people around us is the heart of God. And we are in a culture of selfishness. So in order to understand what it looks like to be someone who contributes in this culture that's around us that very much carries a sense of survival, a sense of connection to the things that maybe matter to us the most. When we look at the things that are around us, clearly one would say that in order to survive in a season like we've been in, we need to hunker down and focus on ourselves as well as maybe just the inner circle that surrounds us. And beyond that, well, we'll see if we have a capacity for more than just the inner circle. Who knows what I'm talking about when I say that? It's easy for us to bring a little bit of, of tension to the table because it's in our laps, in our ears, in our hearts, everywhere we go, everything that we look at, and all the areas that we are investing into in this season of life. So as I mentioned, the series Future Church today is a community of contribution in a culture of selfishness. I want to read as a foundational verse today all the way back to Genesis as a place where I believe it all began, of course. Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28. Let's read this together. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. If you're reading in your Bible, turn the page to chapter 2, verse 8. It says, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees growing out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden where the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havala, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin ox are also there. Onyx, excuse me. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord took God, the man, and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. I don't know when the last time is you read that passage of scripture, but in these two specific passages is so much foundation that we need to draw from. I want to start off with a quote from David Foster Wallace. Some of you might know him. According to the Los Angeles Times, he is one of the most influential and innovative writers in the last 20 years. They would say in his famous commencement speech that he shared at Kenyon College just a few years ago in 2017, he said it like this. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, There is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choices we get is what to worship. In these last five to six weeks, we've talked a lot about secularism here in North America and its rapid acceleration that it surrounds us in this last year and really how religion has, in fact, not gone away at all. You can argue that North America is more religious than ever, and I shared that with you a few weeks ago as we talked about these things. We are living through a generation-wide revival, but religion has moved over into the realm of different things than you might be thinking about when I first say that. Things like politics, which is exactly what some said would happen way back even in the 70s. They warned of that rise of what some would call that political religion. But there is another apparent or almost pseudo-religion that has not been in the spotlight as much this past year due to the pandemic and the election cycles that we have surrounding us in North America. This one has been much more on a disguise But I believe it's just as much a form of idolatry that is competing for our hearts and minds, for the allegiance of those things. 
over our allegiance to Christ himself. And that is the religion of work or careerism or if some titled it workism, meaning an idolatrous overemphasis on work, such as the things that we look at for job, a core place for a spiritual or emotional fulfillment. I'm sure some of us can relate to that in some capacity. Derek Thompson, a writer for The Atlantic magazine, I don't know if any of you read The Atlantic, but I found this quote. He titled his article, Workism is Making America Miserable. And he writes it like this, he says, Workism is among the most potent of the new religions competing for congregants. What is it? It's the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also the centerpiece of one's identity and life purpose. The best educated and highest earning people who can have whatever they want have chosen the office for the same reason that devout Christians attend church on Sundays. It's where they feel most themselves. But our desks were never meant to be our altars. David Zoll, he's the author of a book called Seculosity. I don't know if you've, any of you have read this book. He talks about this unintended replacement of uh, replacement religions. And there's a few of them, specifically in this area of work. He says, work has always served as the great American barometer of worth and identity. Our occupation is the number one socially approved means of justifying our existence. And not just the type of occupation, but performance there. When we talk about success or failure in life, it's assumed that we're talking about work, which means that a job is never just a job, but an identity. It is where we locate our enoughness, and as such, the stream from which our strictest pieties or devotion flows. These are some strong quotes from these leaders. But I think about what this means in the reality of the areas of work. If, I don't know if anybody's done a study on Google, but the Google complex that is found in the U.S. headquarters, for example, these places and many other innovative working environments that still to this day, even through a pandemic, there is a desire to get back to these environments. They have cafes. They have gyms, daycare centers. They even have schools for your kids to attend so you can bring your kids to work and they can go to school. Community events are run out of these facilities. Now, it sounds cool, but it's actually designed and engineered to make your job your life to make it your identity or your community of belonging, and at times even to bring that sense of purpose to life. These places were not built by accident. There was intentionality that surrounded them. Work has evolved, especially for educated millennials, which is you, many of you in this room, and, and me, I still call myself a millennial, a very old millennial, but I'm still there. And soon to be, of course, all of our Gen Zs that are right there knocking at the door. 
from a means for material production to a means of identity production. That's what's evolved. This was part of a larger cultural shift from an honor culture that we strive for and believe in as the body of Christ. It's now shifted to an achievement society. That is what is pressured for each of us to fit in that mold. In an honor culture, you increase social influence by serving well in your role in the community as a father, as a mother, son, daughter, a craftsperson, a merchant, whatever that may look like, an authority figure, even a, even a guardian of, of the faith. But now we accumulate social influence through what? Through education, through wealth, status, career, fame, all of which will very much threaten social unity and has threatened these things. Put another way, value is no longer giving uh, based on who one is, but on what one does. Now, that's not a new thing, but I, sh I say it like that just to bring us all into a, a agreement this morning that these are things we're dealing with around us. The pressures that surround in our culture that we live in, nobody is immune to that. Everyone has an opportunity to get influenced by the things that come our way every day. The result of this achievement culture that I just mentioned is a generation-wide epidemic. Now, that epidemic is resulting in burnout, chronic anxiety, and substance abuse. Actually, just a few years ago, the World Health Organization finally included burnout in its international classification of diseases. Did you know that? Just before the pandemic, this is what was, what was taking place. And the truth is, it's getting worse, not better. In spite of all the conversations and the tools that we have around wellness and health, the things that we have access to today, we're actually, we're actually creating more of a challenge than we are bringing solution. Here are some of the stats just for all of us to look at during this pandemic over the last 14 months. 89% said that their work life was getting worse. 85% say their well-being has declined. 56 said their job demands have increased. 62 of the people who were struggling to manage their workloads had experienced burnout often or extremely often in these last three months. And only 21% rated their well-being as good and a mere 2% of those who took this survey said that they were in a place, an excellent place of well-being, 2%. Any of the 2% in this room today? We got a few. I need to hang out with you more. But there's good news. And again, I love to kind of set the stage in this series specifically with some of the realities. Over against the culture of workism is this biblical vision of work. Not as careerism, but as, an, as contribution. Another way to say that is that place of, of, of servanthood, of generosity of one's life. Genesis 1, humanity is created to rule. 
In the Hebrew, that word is radah, meaning to actively partner with God in taking the world forward. It can be translated rule or reign or have dominion. This is a language of royalty. The phrase, the image of God, was actually taken by the kings in, the, in those times of Pharaoh and all through the Old Testament. They were thought as almost quasi-divine, these, these rulers of these countries. Everybody else was not the image of God except for those who were in authority. Essentially, we were all slave labor to the pharaohs and all his rich friends to their commands. So they took what God desired for humanity and made it something selfish. The book of Genesis is almost rebellious on multiple levels, in particular regarding to the abuse of power. Not power itself, but the abuse of power. So it takes it back to the heart of God. And it's anti what we see around us and what man tried to create. It says, no, we are all made in the image of God. Not just kings, not just men, not just one ethnic group in power, but all people are made in the image of God. All people. And we're all made to rule over the earth on his behalf, gathering up the creation's praise so to speak, and somehow giving back to him, the creator. That is our mandate as humanity. That's what we are taught and what we read in scripture. Ruling is a lot like what we call work. So if we go to back to Genesis 2 that I read, we read about these raw materials in the Garden of Eden. The gold, the aromatic resin, all of those things. You were wondering what that meant. Well, humanity was put in the garden to work it and to what? Take care of it. This is the mandate that God gave to Adam. Let's look at work it for, for, for example. Means in the Hebrew, abad. To cultivate or to develop or to draw out its potential. Tim Keller, who I love and I've used often in this series, uh, he defines work like this, based on biblical theology. He says, rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. Could you say it any better? This is what we do. This is our mandate. Rearranging raw materials in order to create an Eden-like space for human beings to flourish in relationship to God, to each other, to ourselves, and of course to the earth itself. This is true with all sorts of work. For example, a farmer, that's his mandate. A server at a restaurant, that, that's their mandate. An entrepreneur that's starting business, that is their mandate called by God. Or even a craftsperson, a tradesperson, or even a parent who is raising children. We have this mandate to create a space like the Garden of Eden for the humans around us to flourish in relationship to God and to these other things. 
All of us are called to this. All of this is the work of cultivation. In fact, culture comes from the word cultivation. Good culture is the result of good people who take the raw stuff of the planet and make it into an Eden-like place of delight. That sounds like a good spot to, uh, to live. Who agrees? That is our call as followers of Jesus. Work it. In the other one, we are called to take care of it. This is the Hebrew word shamar, to top guard, to watch over, to protect. John Mark Homer as well wrote this incredible book called Garden City. Has anybody read it? I was wondering where that name came from. Maybe. At least I'm putting two and two together. There was a church plant in our city that was, the name was Garden City. There's a great context. He says it like this, Pastor John Mark. He says, we are not just called to any kind of work. We are called to garden-like work. Our call is to continue what Adam and Eve started. The garden was a project, not a product, designed to go somewhere. God wanted Adam and Eve to spread the boundaries of the garden out over the whole earth. You can read more about that and the imagery of that at the, at the end of the book of Revelations. He says this, the garden was never supposed to stay a garden. It was always supposed to become a garden-like city. And that is what we see around us. The involvement of humanity, of culture, of invention, the revelation of what this earth provided naturally as well as the amazing, innovative minds of humanity through the centuries. Now, there is a practice from the way of Jesus to participate in this vision of work, not as career or careerism, but as contribution, to shift our heart in that direction. There is practice, and that practice is called vocation. We often don't think of vocation as practice, even though you and I, many of us in this room, spend almost two-thirds of our life in this reality. We spend two-thirds of our, of our days in this working environment. And if we cut that off from our spiritual life, we essentially cut Jesus out of the majority of our life. It's an interesting thing to think about, where... Our time as we are investing into our careers, into our work, into our families as stay-at-home parents, into our entrepreneurial endeavors, into relationships with each other, all of these things, these are things that are creating moments where we can be present with people, showing them who God is. We cannot cut this off from our spiritual life. In the church, we often spend the majority of our time talking about the minority of our day-to-day -day life. And that's what we need to be shifting and thinking about. The word vocation comes from the Latin word vocatio. I think I said that right. <laughs> Meaning the calling of God for your unique identity and mission. All of us, all of us in this room have opportunity to align with this reality. 
there are three layers to calling or to vocation in biblical theology, and I want to explain those to you quickly. Number one, they say that we are called to follow Jesus, who agrees. That's part of the layer of vocation. Our first and primary call is to Jesus, whether you have the privilege to dream about a career that is best fit for you, or whether, like most Christians around the world, you are living day to day, you have a calling from God and you have a destiny in God's great universe. And one day you will co-rule with Jesus all through this universe. If you think that's crazy, then again, you need to go and read Revelations. Those last few chapters, it's all in there. Second is we are called to do our work as an act of discipleship to Jesus. We often don't think of work as an act of discipleship. Maybe you wake up early, all of us, I'm sure, at some moment in this year have done that, have taken time to spend with the Lord. But we don't have to think about that discipleship side of things as that 8 a.m. schedule in our day that lands us at work. We disconnect in that moment. Think, we need to think about Jesus as, as the carpenter who was in that vocation for, for decades of his life. Today, Jesus could be involved in a gamut of, of career choices. That would have been up, up to him on what he decided. He could be a barista, he could be a tradesman, he could be an entrepreneur, he could have been, it really does, doesn't matter, but the, the point is, is that he could be who he was and doing what any of us do in this room today for career, for vocation. Are you with me? Think about this. We must come to view our work as a key facet of our apprenticeship to Jesus, as a place where most spend the bulk of our time as the primary context of our spiritual formation. The place where we work out with God and the community in prayer, our spiritual life. The daily invitation that we receive to grow and mature, to face our blind spots, to come face to face with sin and fear and all insecurities, all the stuff of a spiritual life. We can wrestle through these things in that place of life. That's my challenge to you this morning. We are called to use that place of work as an act of discipleship to Jesus. And thirdly, we're called to play our role in the family of God and the flourishing of humanity. The idea that we're fearfully and wonderfully made comes out of a Christian biblical theology. Our calling is not something that we choose, like a career or a university choice. It's much deeper than that, I believe. It's something that you discover that you unearth from the inside. Often, it's something that you have to surrender to and let go of control to God's pull in your life. I know there are many in this room that would say you have found that place where you are running in step with the Spirit of God. And if you're not, may I challenge you this morning that you have access to 
understand who God has called you to be and where he's called you to go. It's a powerful place to have that conviction knowing that you are in step with the Spirit. Often it's something that we have to surrender to, as I said. Culture says, I am what I do, but Scripture says, I do what I am. We get to dream about finding a source of income that is in line with our call from God. That comes with the responsibility to do the hard work, the work of justice, to extend that opportunity to as many as possible. We have a calling from God, a unique contribution built into our genetic code with the way God wired us. No matter what your origin was with your parents, because all of us come from so many different backgrounds and realities. I believe some of us need to hear today that you were not and are not an accident. Nobody is. Not one. No mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. All of us were born with a destiny and a contribution to this world that God made you to do. I have that conviction in the core of who I am as I read and understand the heart of God. Now, how do we repurpose our work, paid or unpaid, glamorous or not, where we feel like we're, we're in rhythm or we're just kind of fumbling through some of what we're doing right now with our lives? How, how do we repurpose that into a spiritual discipline of calling? Really, we're asking in different words, how do we do the same thing uh, as, as most of our co-workers, but taking almost a supernatural perspective to why we do what we do and turning it into a calling or a vocation. Our work as followers of Jesus should have three basic qualities. Motivated by love, guided by scripture, and done with Excellence. Let me break those few things down quickly. Number one, the basic quality of being motivated by love. Not by ambition or greed or status seeking or performance identity or power or a search for self-worth or validation. That's not what this is. We may do the same thing as the person one cubicle or one office beside us, but for very different reason, because we're motivated by love, love for people, love for God, love for the things that he's put in our heart. Secondly, we need to be guided by scripture. Some philosophers define work as adding value to the world. Dallas Willard wonderful leader, calls it the expanding of energy to produce good. We do all that we can do to find work that is blessed by God, but it doesn't have to be glamorous. It could mean changing tires for people at Cal Tire. It could be serving at a restaurant. It could be landscaping. It could it could be pastoring a church. It could be owning a business. It could be you name it. 
All of us, all of us are qualified. Christianity was the first worldview to ever dignify manual labor as something worthy of respect. Jesus modeled this in the most beautiful way in Scripture. We see that. Probably why he chose the vocation that he did. And thirdly, in this area of qualities that we should have around our work is that it is done to the best of our ability. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord that you are serving. We are to work as though Jesus is, is our boss. He's the one that oversees us. Dorothy Sayers, another author, says, it, says this, that the best way to serve Jesus at work is to serve the work. What she meant by that is to just be really good at whatever you do. And here's a quote from her. It's a unique one. Take it for what it is, but it's got a great point behind it. She says, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. I'll let you process that for a minute. Interesting perspective. Essentially talking about the value of what he did as a carpenter, that there was so much value in that. There is a Hebrew concept called kavana, and it's translated into the power of holy intent, where rabbis teach that when the fall happened, the manifest presence of God was shattered into tiny pieces. But when we do our work and bring our full presence to a day or to a task, when we are motivated by love and guided by scripture, when we are reweaving the manifest glory of God into the created order, then these things begin to work themselves out. One rabbi tells a story about a cobbler, a shoemaker, who was weaving his shoe together many, of course, years ago. He said, he said as he was taking the top of the shoe and the bottom of the shoe, he turned to his apprentice and he said, I am weaving glory, showing that even the simplicity of making shoe is giving glory to God in all that he does. Whether you are a barista at Monogram or Starbucks or Phil and Sebastian, there is, listen, opportunity to weave glory into the moment. And we know some of those people, when I get my coffee, it's not just handed to me, but it's handed to me with, with heart-shaped foam on the top. <laughs> and it's handed to me where the lid of the cup isn't, the, the opening of the lid isn't right on the crease of the cup, where when I drink it, it spills on my shirt, but they take the time to twist and These are the moments when 
we have opportunity to be present with the people that we come in contact with every day. Construction, creating a masterpiece of one's master bathroom. I think about Peter. You are weaving God's glory into that home when you put your best work forward. When you look that client in the eye and you tell them that you're happy to be there and you ask them how they're doing and you care for the little details. These are the things that I'm talking about. Our workers downstairs who are caring for our children right now, they are weaving the glory of God into the atmosphere and breathing life into them as they smile and care for them and teach them and build an environment that's safe and life-giving. All the parents in this room, you are the most intentional of people. We are, I should say, when we had the opportunity to take these beautiful lives and shape them. Probably more mistakes than not, but we're making our way through raising children. Any task can become a form of kavana with the power of holy intent. I'm dreaming, your pastor's dreaming about a city and about a church, Christian Life Assembly, where we and other followers of Jesus across this great city are making our contribution to the flourishing, the human flourishing that God desires for Calgary. To be a part of the healing and the renewal of our city. Who's with me? That is our call. All of us. Playing a small part. And moving Calgary a little more towards this Eden environment that we find in Revelations. We are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. I love that. I know we've said a lot of hard things over these weeks, but you guys have all been so amazing. And we're not done yet. We're not, you're not off the hook yet. But we've all been wrestling through these, these very challenging topics. Everybody's had such an open heart. And I feel like we're setting a foundation for our church that we now get to build. We are all called by God to make a unique contribution. And my, my heart today is that we would leave here encouraged, knowing that who you are and what you do has divine implications. I know that we've heard these things before in different ways, and, but maybe the way that it was articulated today would help you see it through a different lens. Where work, our work is, is, is love, really made visible to those around us. In the end, I do believe that work, like all of life, is about becoming people that love one another. Working to earn this 
connection and care and trust and love through accomplishment and accumulation at times can be very bad religion. And that's what we want to avoid. It's not about accomplishment and accumulation. As Cody so eloquently talked about just a few weeks ago, working is to express the love of Jesus as an act of worship to God and love for our neighbor, done with holy intent. That is religion at its best. That is who Jesus desires us to be. As I close this morning, Caleb, I welcome you to come on up to the stage. Thank you. We have, we certainly do have a mandate. And a part of the encouragement is also twofold. It's to challenge us as a body. To not take any day for granted. And the nuances of life certainly create more challenge at times than it feels like we're making headway or making progress. Who, who agrees with me? Especially this year. feels like there's been a lot of delay or one step forward, three steps back. But God keeps reminding me that every step that I'm taking forward is a, is a step in the right direction if my heart is in line with his heart. And yes, there will be setbacks, but let's stay the course and realize that our contribution is so powerful. And then there's something about the alignment of a, of a, a faith community where each of us begin to understand what that means corporately. And as we move into a new chapter here at CLA, my prayer is that this would not be a mindset that carries into this summer and into the, the fall where, wow, there's a lot of great people at CLA. I'm glad things are happening. Although that's a good thing to think, just remember that you, yourself, are a part of that equation as well. It's not just for the 20% or the 50%, but it's for all of us to play our part. Because we have divine attribute given by God to, to, to make life fulfilling, to bring perspective that goes beyond what we are bombarded with every day when it comes to what matters and survival and caring for just those closest to us. God's asking us to blow those doors open and to be vulnerable and to say yes to leading by example. I believe that's the only way. And today, I just really did feel that I was preparing to, to honor uh, my neighbors, and they're in this room right now, Justin and Heidi Reed, where are you guys, are they in here, oh, right here, oh, she's like, what are you, what are you going to say, these are my physical neighbors, it's, it's the neighbors that are so close that 
whenever you're outside and they're outside, you, it's, you just always have to say hi because they're not around the corner or they're not just driving into their, into their um, garage. Like, we're present. We see each other across the street. So there's constant connection with our children. They have four kids as well. Uh, we have five, but four, so it's a lot of kids. There's a lot of children. And um, as I was preparing for today, I was thinking so much about the two of you and your children who are a byproduct of how you've raised them. But you guys understand what this means. You understand what it means to take every day with intention. And you have made decisions, even with our family, to be present and to be available. And you lead by example. And the reason I, I point you out today is because you've impacted my life. There was, there was no pressure or obligation or anything uh, to, to get into my family's life, but you've chosen to do that. I haven't even asked you why. You just have. Whether, whether maybe God has actually shown you to do that, I don't know. We'll have that conversation, though, maybe this afternoon. But it's, this isn't about Devin and I and our kids and what, what we've been. It's this, this is what you have meant to us. And you live this. And if there were, if, if local churches had like 20% of families that lived like the Reeds, the local church in Calgary would explode. Did you hear me? They just, they're just, they're present, they're available, they're... And they might be rolling their eyes right now, but that's okay. I love you guys, and I honor you for living this. And I thank you for giving space um, to take every day as a day where you can be used by the Lord. And we're not always in that headspace, but let me just say that the, your countenance exudes that. And I, and I am grateful. So. Let's stand this morning as we close. I want to pray for you and pray for our church. If you are desiring God to, to download into your heart new perspective in this area where you don't have to necessarily change what you're doing today in the natural to change supernaturally how you perceive every day because God can do that we don't have to shift gears on on career to discover fulfillment what we can do is just shift our perspective and when we do that I believe the door can open to impacting so many around us we just choose to say that what I'm in real estate or education or trades or entrepreneurial venture, that all of it has value and it has value that can bring Jesus to earth in a tangible way. If that's you, I just encourage you to get, to get into a posture of receiving as I pray for us and close this morning. Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you that, uh, that even though we're surrounded by selfish desire, and, and survival at times, 
not everyone, but for some reason that narrative is just so strong right now. And I know that that's, that's not people, but that's, that's the enemy. That's the enemy that's trying to confuse because humanity is good. Lord, we are created in your image. And in the depths of who we are, we desire to care for each other. Whether we have faith in Jesus or not, humanity is beautiful because you created each and every one of us. But there is this, that there's this, this thought, this narrative, this idea that we cannot trust each other and we need to put up boundaries and set up walls in order to protect ourselves. Lord, I pray that through this church, through this community of faith, that we would be a people that are courageous, that are willing to take risks, that are willing to step out and at times maybe be misunderstood or be known for being too present as opposed to, what church is that? I've never heard of it. God, would you give us the strategy in our everyday life, with our careers, our, with our, the investment of life. If there, I believe there are some in this room that you are, that you are calling to make radical change and shifts. I believe that. We maybe haven't had the courage to do so, but would you give us that, even in this moment, just an, of, of eternal supernatural perspective on what that could look like to just step out and make change and be one who walks by faith not by sight so that we can truly land in that place where you've called us to be in step with your spirit Lord I thank you for these things would we go today feeling as though you are for us and not against us that we are in your hands and that you have put us together for such a time as this. You are building this house for this season, right now. You are bringing the right leaders and the right people and the right influencers. And for that, I say thank you. Would you continue to do that? And help us to steward this well, where our culture would be a culture of belonging, a culture of care and love, concern for one another. Would I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church, as you go. Thank you. We'll be up here if you would like some prayer today. Enjoy each other. Enjoy company. I think we can even sit on patios now. So go grab some lunch and love on each other. We will see you next week.